Hey everyone, this is Heather and you're listening to Simply Healed with Heather Leonard. Today's episode is called This Changes Everything. Vibration, reprogram subconscious mind, grief, theta. I'm telling you guys, this episode has it all and I could not be more excited. This doesn't happen often where I can't even wait to record on a day because I have a message that I just can't even wait to share today. So stick around. This one is guaranteed to be a great one. Okay, so first off, my dog is in full slurping mode as per usual. I apologize. But I could not be more excited about this topic to the point at which where I don't even know where to start. I'm that excited. So it, I love research. Let me start there. I've always loved doing research projects. It's been something that I always knew I wanted in my future. And now this is on my lap. And so just this is like a sneak preview for all of you of something that I'm pursuing in the field of research around grief. Um, so there's a lot going on in the world right now in terms of learning more about the subconscious mind, theta states, frequency, resonance. Um, anybody who kind of pays attention to mindset, I'm sure has heard a lot of these words. They're sort of buzzwords right now. Um, and I know a lot of us are like, okay, I get it now, but how the heck do I change my subconscious? I'm going to start the beginning with this so that it doesn't totally overwhelm people that might be new to this information. And also, I will guarantee that I will keep this also interesting for those of you who already get it and know about it, because I want to talk about something that hasn't been talked about, or at least I've never heard it spoken of in the world of grief. Um, (laughs) So my theory as to why the grieving stay sad One major reason why grief persists, and it's not just because we still miss our person. I mean, I'm sure that is a big reason, but let's talk about subconscious mind and reprogramming and theta and all of these things and how they come into effect and why I think that it is in the realm of possibility to be able to find a way to be different. (laughs) I mean, that sounds like a strong statement, but it's true. I think that a lot of the times what we've been told, that becomes our subconscious program. I think we've heard years, years I've heard this, that grief is a lifetime journey. It is a cycle. It is a, you know, one day you'll be happy, then the next day angry, next, sometimes next moment, next second, it's flipping and it's flopping between all of these same emotions over and over again. Well, what that makes me think of is subconscious programming. Um, so our conscious mind is where we spend most of our day. You know, we are in creativity and we have these great ideas and all these things. This is happening in our conscious mind. The issue is, and why I think so many people hit a wall when they're wanting to achieve now these goals, and this goes along with grief as well, whether it's changing the mood, finding inner peace, um, whatever it is, getting out of bed in the morning, you know, um, I think that even though mentally we're there, we're like, yeah, I am ready. I'm standing at the ready for change. We have what's called a subconscious program running in the background. Now, this is from mostly age zero to seven when we are moldable clay and sponges and, you know, we're getting a lot of our programming sort of set into us at that age. And then what happens is we start running that program. So whatever it is that we think to be 
um, fact from that time period in our life when we learned it, we saw it, observed it, heard it, witnessed it, you know, whatever it was that molded our clay. It's like on repeat. So you can say affirmations all day long. <laughs> you can say, I am successful. I'm wealthy. I'm I know, in great shape, I have the love of my life. But if these things aren't true, your brain is searching for evidence to the contrary to say, ah, 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 no, you're not. <laughs> you know, it's going back to the program. It's going back to the, you know, yeah, you always come really close and then things fail. Uh, these things only happen for a few, the select, the elite, the whatever. Whatever you've heard or seen or, or come to believe to be factual sort of overrides that. So even though you think you're getting yourself in the right mindset, are you even doing it at the right time of day? Are you doing it uh, in the right uh, frequency? Are you sending out a message that can be received? So what I mean by that is if you think of everything as like an antenna, but you have to receive information, right? So what you what are you having coming towards you is what you're putting out. So this is where it gets really interesting and resonance comes into all all of this because resonance is kind of like I mean, I almost feel like it makes more sense than the law of attraction. It's like the law of resonance in a sense. Um actually, I think I just recently heard um somebody who I love to listen to, Kathy Heller, say something about that same same idea of law of resonance. So I this isn't that's not a new idea. <laughs> uh, but what I'm saying is that if resonance is sort of like whatever frequency you're at is what is going to be attracted towards that frequency, right? And then amplified, right? That's kind of the whole idea of resonance. It's like there's already a vibration or resonance happening. And then a like thing gets attracted to it and it, it becomes amplified. Um, why is this important? So again, let me just start with none of this is like medical advice or anything like that. These are my ideas and my thoughts and my theories, hence why I want to do research. So I want to prove some of my ideas here because I think that there's a whole field that we've been ignoring and I think it can really help those of us who are grieving. So here goes. I want to start back at the beginning a little bit because I'm so excited. I'm kind of like jumping way ahead and giving way too much all over the place information. So let's start at the basics. Just a little science lesson to catch us all up on sort of like where things start from. I mean, let's start with matter. Matter is vibration. Atoms are pure vibration. Okay, so this is kind of exciting because <laughs> energy has a vibration. If it matches with the objects, it absorbs and amplifies. Okay, so think of it like like an internal vibration. Everybody might be thinking to myself, to myself, everyone might be thinking to myself. <laughs> what would an episode be without a silly little Heatherism marked in the middle of it all? So if you're thinking like I was thinking, well, matter and atoms make up everything. So if everything is vibration and everything has matter and atoms, why does a ball look like a ball and a star like a star? Why is, you know, a book a book? Like, I don't get it. They're all made of the same things. So you kind of think of like there's an internal vibration and you can think of that as sort of like the fingerprint, right? So everybody has a different fingerprint. And so that's how one thing is sort of different than another. So go with me here just a little bit further down the rabbit hole. <laughs> Your thoughts have a vibration. 
right? So everything that manifests itself in your life, everything that comes to pass <laughs> in your life, though, this is like a lot of pressure here in a sense, <laughs> is because it matches, right? It's a match. So if something is happening in your life, it's because of the vibration of it. So the reason this is so important, let's go back to the building blocks of when when we're forming our first thoughts and beliefs and all this stuff. So age zero to seven is kind of a to blame period in our life. <laughs> it was sort of when we were like moldable clay, Play-Doh, you know, the sponge sucking it all in and, and sort of setting the program, you know, and it's like the downloads that are that are happening during that time. And so if you think of it from, I'm just trying to make sure that I'm not getting ahead of myself again, that I get so excited and I'm jumping over things. If 95% of our time right now, we're run by our subconscious programming, that, that stuff that we got in that zero to seven age, that has become like what's going on in the background, the program that's running no matter what. So let's say we're really like, excited about something. We have this idea. We want to see it come to fruition. That's coming from your conscious mind. It's creative. It's this thought that you're going to do something. You research it, you study it, you learn how to do it. And you think, yeah, I've got it. I've like, it's in my head now. The problem being <laughs> that comes from your conscious mind, which, you know, 95% of the time is in the back seat. So people are trying to change things with a the part of the mind that is not to blame, <laughs> so to speak, right? You could be highly motivated, but if somewhere inside you, there's already this program that, that doesn't want to be driven, you know, then it's not, it doesn't match. So this is where it gets real interesting to me that when we're younger and we're developing all these things, it's not always because we had bad parents and they were telling us that, you know, you're never going to amount to anything. No, no, no. Like it could be very well that we have very supportive parents who are there for us, but what they were modeling or without even thinking, or like when they said to you, I mean, I'll give an example with my own children. When my son was young and he said, I want to be the president of the United States someday. My response to that was, that's amazing. And you might be, but only one person gets to be the president. So if that doesn't work for you and someone else becomes president, then what else would you want to do? Which is so funny that like those words came out, but I don't even know if that's exactly what I said, but it was something to that effect of like, you know, a backup plan. As parents, we feel like we're helping our kids by saying, you know, hey, <laughs> that's great. I love your ambition. And I think you might be able to achieve that. But you know, it's a really hard thing that not a lot of people are going to be able to achieve or get. So what else do you have up your sleeve? What other ideas do you have that you might want to? And the problem is the message getting received at that point before our brains are really fully developed. All, it, all that we're saying is these things only happen to a few, not the many. So the likelihood of it being you is small. And so isn't it funny how like at, all the way into our adulthood, we could be carrying that programming with us and believing wholeheartedly that, yep, anything's possible, but it's highly unlikely it's going to be me. It's only a few people that it happens for. So it's like, wow. And then here, so let's take this into the realm of grief, because this is really why I wanted to talk about this and where my research is going to fall, is that 
we've heard of like the five stages of grief, the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross or um, some now it's evolved. There's seven stages. You know, there's it's an ever evolving thing because we are realizing the scope and the variety and all of the emotions that are tied into grief. There's so much. It's a swirling thing of from moment to moment you know, changing. And and I think that's because we're grasping for footing and for familiarity and for, you know, anything. We're kind of just trying out all these things, almost like a baby all over again. We're like, you know, we're happy, we're sad, we're, you know, we're crying happy tears, which then turn into grief tears. And, you know, it's, it's a kind of a whole roller coaster of emotions. So this is wild because never more is it important to try to change our programming, especially if, because you want to look at two people that are both grieving a similar type of loss, never the same, but you know, similar, let's say loss of spouse. And one person seems to be like back at, at life awfully quick, smiling and laughing. Another person stuck in their bedroom in their pajamas, unable to get out of bed, um, falling apart into tears all the time. Now, why? What's what's happening here? And so here's where I'm saying, I think that it is possible for the person stuck in their bed in their pajamas to get themselves to the place where the person who is out and about again and seemingly happy. I think that's possible. I don't, as I said before, think it is possible to bring your person back from the dead and give you back what you feel that you have lost. No. But I think that having those happy emotions again are possible for anybody. And some people will argue that, no, my it's so dark, you don't, you're not understanding. But what I'm saying is maybe just maybe you're stuck on a program. And so what you've witnessed and how you've seen other people grieve and what you believe, like if you've been told over and over and over again in your life, that grief is a lifetime process. It's never ending. You're always gonna experience this. It could come up at any time. That's all normal. This is part of the process. Well, that's what you're believing and that's what your default will be. I um, personally have found that, well, yes, these things will still come up. It's like the whole emotional spectrum for every person on this earth. We all have all of these emotions you know, available to us and they come and they go and they, you know, and I, and I think that it's possible, even though when we're having our hurt moments and our anger moments and all of these other, you know, sort of stages of grief or phases of grief, um, you know, I think that ours might be a little more intense, you know, they might be heightened. I don't think that it's, permanent. I don't think it's tattooed on us, scarred on us for life. This will always be your experience that it could happen out of the blue all of a sudden. All of, I think what we will send into our subconscious or reprogram into our subconscious will be our new way. Because just like a computer, you know, whatever that is, what's downloaded in there, what's, what the program is, is what will be, you know, it's in there. That's at the basis of it. That's running 95% of our day. Uh, so theta is an interesting and exciting idea. Theta is what I see as potential. <laughs> I mean, truly, it's like it is what the zero to seven year old mind has at the ready. It's that moldable, 
change that is still available to us as adults. And here's what's, this is where my research is going to come into play because I don't think anybody's really looked at this enough yet. And if it's out there, let me know people, but I've never heard of it. And so I believe that when I have people in my Facebook group who have lost like these intense major losses in their life, that one of the biggest complaints I hear is sleep. Now there's two different categories. There's people who say to me, I cannot sleep at night. I literally lay in my bed forever, tossing and turning, thinking about how much I miss my person, feeling isolated and alone and sad and reliving these awful memories and I can't sleep. And then there's another category of people who are distracting themselves from their grief during their day and staying really, really busy to the point of pure exhaustion. And then when their head hits the pillow at night, they go right into deep sleep. It's like they are already there. They don't even remember getting into the bed. And I fall into that category, by the way. So it's it's interesting to me because when does theta happen? Well, people are learning more and more techniques, which is really cool, to get into theta in the middle of their day. They're doing meditation, hypnosis, things where they can get into more of a meditative state, which is really just kind of like slowing down and quieting the mind. And I, as I said before, I believe it's three and a half to seven and a half hertz. Uh, maybe I didn't say it before. I've been talking about this so much in my circles lately that I'm starting to forget if I said it to you or not. I apologize if I repeat myself or... Um, or think I said something I didn't, but um, I believe that's the frequency of theta. So if oh, I lost my train of thought there, I got all tied up in thinking frequencies. So, so theta, so people can get into it during the day, but the other time that it happens naturally for adults is right before we're going into sleep. So if that is sort of the changeable time of day, Think about how often you've tried to achieve a change and it's in the middle of your day when you're fully alert, alpha, wide awake, um, you know, going through the the day. And some people now are taking to like actually setting a clock and checking in every hour and saying, you know, where's my mood really at? Am I I'm in a good space or is this, you know, where am I? And that's great, but it's happening again during your highly alert times a day. So Let's say I notice that, oh, wow, I'm, feel, I'm just bored again or I'm lonely again. And I didn't realize I thought I was having a good day, but it looks like every time I've checked in the last five hours, I've been in these lower frequencies. I can't just pivot. Like you can pivot, 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 pivot. You're going to be doing 360s all over the place. And sure, you can keep coming out of that mood, but the programming might still be there as a default to be bored, to be lonely, to be whatever. And to, and if that's your default, if that's your subconscious programming, you're just going to keep reliving it and having to keep pivoting all the time. So this is where like I, as much as I teach the whole, I mean, that's like a, in a large part, um, part of my coaching process is, is showing people like the pivot. <laughs> and now I'm saying, hold on a second. I don't want you to have to pivot so much. I want your programming. I want what's in like in your, you know, cells in your being to be as a default setting to default to happy, to default to joy, to default to gratitude and have it be the rarity when you 
experience these other emotions. That's what I think, that's where I think we can help the grieving. Like, stop telling me that this can't, this cannot be changed and it's a forever thing. Because I don't think it's true. Because I know I've done my own work with my own subconscious mind during these times of day. Sorry, my dog's itching again. But, uh, and I've seen real progress and change. And so when people want to know what's my secret sauce to why are you always so freaking happy all the time. Like, what is it? What's this girl's secret sauce? The secret sauce is that I'm not giving myself affirmations during a time of day where I'm hearing it and it's either bouncing off or my body's coming up with evidence to the contrary, which is just further in reinforcing the fact that something is not. For instance, I'm at peace. I am at peace I feel at peace. I could say that over and over and over and over. And in my mind, I'm going right now, you're not at peace. You know that's garbage because right now you're stressing out about the uniforms that just came in and you have to reach out to this person. You have to do that. And you know you don't have enough time in the day, blah, 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 blah. And I start searching for evidence to the contrary. My brain is doing this. I'm not doing this. It is looking for it and it is finding it. So I have just reinforced the fact that I'm not at peace. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, affirmations can be great, but they also have to be, you know, something that your belief system is even available for, you know? And so what is your belief system? It's zero to seven programming subconscious. It's, it's already there. <laughs> this is not to disappoint you or make you think it is unachievable. It is so achievable. It's just, we've been coming at it all the wrong way. And so... Yes, I know people are doing work with hypnosis. Yes, I know that there's all kinds of therapies available and I could, you know, rattle off a whole bunch of names for you guys. But what I really want you to understand is the self-empowerment in this. You can make changes in this. You have the power inside you. You're awesome. You're able. You don't need someone else to fix you. That's what I want to tell you. And I'm not telling people who... like. There are many people who need counseling. There are many people who might need hypnosis, might need some of these um, things. I'm just empowering you to realize that you also are amazing, capable, and competent. And when you understand the systems, then you can make changes at the right... Like, in other words, I don't want you to be on the hamster wheel of trying to make a change on your own and not getting there. I want you to know that it's achievable. It's even more achievable in that the helping hands of a skilled professional who can lead the way and guide guide you. You know, you don't want to be trying to to do reprogramming of your brain by yourself. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that the, there are ways to make some changes in your life that will literally alter your future. And so I'm going to take a quick break, but I can't even tell you how excited I still am. I feel like again I might be having a bit of verbal diarrhea here and giving you guys so much information and probably in all the wrong order because my brain is just sort of exploding with things I want to get out there. Um, but here's what I'm going to tell you. The second half of the show, I'm going to pile on a whole lot more. And if I don't get through it today, I'm just going to call this a part one. And <laughs> next week, I'll double back and make sure that this all starts to make a lot of sense and sticks because this stuff is good. And I'm excited. And I want you to get excited about it. If we can change the face of grief, let's do this thing. So real quick break and I'll be right back. If you've experienced a major loss in your own life and you're looking for a group where you can get some help with coaching as well as support from other people who get it, then my 
private Facebook group might just be the perfect place for you. So if that's something you're interested in, check out the link in today's podcast description and maybe I'll see you on the inside. Um, As far as who is it for, it is for anybody who's experienced soul-crushing loss. Um, There are a lot of people inside the group who are there because they've lost a spouse, but there are also people who've lost boyfriends and girlfriends and fiancés and divorced couples or people who've lost a child or parent or, you know, it is attempting to aim at those who have lost somebody closest to them in their world. So I think we all know what soul crushing means. And if that sounds like something that could be a help to you, I hope that you do look me up and join the group. All right, now back to this show. So when we see uh, coincidences popping up in our world, I just don't think that's a thing. I don't think there's just random happenings. And why do I say that? Because have you ever noticed patterns develop? Like, I'll give an example in my own life. And for my birthday, I want to say three years in a row, like I couldn't catch a break on my birthday. I was stuck in a subconscious pattern. I was expecting it and it came to fruition each year. It was like, oh, here comes my birthday when everything's going to fall apart. Like my husband and I never argued. And then on my birthday, maybe two or three years in a row, we argued. And it was like, what are we even arguing about? Sometimes it was like the silliest of things. Like, so I'll give an example. I crashed into a friend's car on my birthday. I, um, I mean, little stupid things like that, that would happen to me. And and I've actually started to let go and forget some of them, which is great because that tells you I've made some changes to this underlying expectation of a crappy birthday. <laughs> and But it's true. And I think we ended up arguing about the fact that I was being so hard on myself about this little fender bender. And he was trying to give me permission that it was okay. It wasn't a big deal. <laughs> and I couldn't forgive myself. And we ended up kind of arguing about it. But oh my goodness. So here it is, guys. I think that patterns that repeat themselves every year on my birthday, you know, something junky happens and my husband and I end up arguing. It's it's somewhere from my subconscious. It is somewhere from boy back there. And nobody wants to hear that it's like this, you know, childhood thing that happened that has now altered your whole future. But it's changeable, right? So yeah, that stinks. And, um, you know, think about it this way. You have about what is it, 60,000 thoughts a day if my memory serves right? Now, this is a guess, a random guess from somewhere in the backs of my, the back depths of my brain. Uh, but I think it's something like that. And and so if you think about the things that really do affect our subconscious, one of them is for sure this zero to seven what was put in into the program But then another thing is repetition and habit. You know, I mean, a lot of people will say, well, if your theory is correct and all, I mean, it's not my theory, but this is, this is stuff that I'm like pulling out of the textbooks here, guys. But uh, if the zero to seven age is really what shapes that, you know, the child in us and sets the program for life, then how do we ever learn as an adult and how do we change how we're doing things, like how do we ever learn something new? 
So that, I mean, my brain went there too. And I thought to myself, well, all right, it's already all in there. So then, you know, what? but we learned to drive a car, right? We learned to play basketball or ride a bike. I mean, not all of us had access to all those things in the zero to seven range. So how do they get learned? Well, what do we do? We have sports practices, right? We have practice so that we can learn the sport of basketball. We have a driver's education so we can learn to drive a car. We have, you know, these things are so that we can have repetition and habit and we do it again and we do it again. And what is that called? Practice, right? We have practice so that when we do it again and again and again, that repetition becomes programmed, right? So that is another sort of way in and around, which is pretty cool. Um, So back to what I was talking about, though, with what I think is going on with all of us grieving souls, (laughs) we go to bed at night. And if we fall into that category, I was talking about where we're just up and thinking about all that is wrong, how alone we feel and how much this stinks and how stressed we are. And well, guess what? We're in theta right then. What was theta? Theta is that, remember, that's our adult access to moldable clay. (laughs) So we're in this frame of mind where our actual framework and our patterns and our program can be changed. And what are we doing? (laughs) We're literally reinforcing the grief. All of the grief is coming up. And so it's a prolonged state of theta, I believe, in grieving individuals. They're in it for a longer amount of time. And this is where research really needs to attack this. If if I'm right in this theory and we're in it longer, that explains what is going wrong. And so maybe there's people out there who develop apps or whatever that could come up with some really great stuff that we could listen to as we're falling into sleep that that takes our mind away from the grief. to help us to have reinforced good thought patterns and positive frame of mind right before falling asleep because it's hard to control, guys. Like you're just about to nod off. So it is really hard to be pulling the marionette strings of like our thoughts. But if we can just like think of it as like when you're daydreaming or when you are, um, you know, you, you have a little say in it. In other words, what I would not do is what I was doing when I first lost my husband was falling asleep to the television at night. Because guess what? I was putting on crime shows. I was watching things that were like not good and not that I wanted to fill my subconscious with. But yet that's what it was being fed with every night right before falling asleep. Uh, Same goes with crazy music with lyrics that are like, you know, or even just songs you might love, but they're sad songs that are bringing up the grief emotions. So being very conscious of what your environment is feeding you during that time period, I think is so important. And, you know, making sure for those of us that are overdoing during the day and then collapsing on the pillow, that's the other category. I think that is a problem. I think they're lacking theta. Maybe not entirely. I think we all have to pass through it. Obviously, it's like you can't skip over a frequency. Probably you have to like, you know, even if you move through it, really rapidly. I'm sure, I don't know enough about um, sleep studies and, and when we pass through these different stages, but I would gather that it's just a blip. It's so fast or not even there that 
that's what's happening is we are not able to change the program because we are not available. <laughs> you know, it's not, we go boom right into this deep sleep. And so, yeah, I think that this is where, you know, 60,000 thoughts a day, I actually think in the grieving human, a lot of those thoughts are happening right before falling asleep at night when we're most lonely and in our toughest times, like in our hardest of times, that's when our mind is running wild, right? And when we're like, sort of in this zombie-like phase, and if you ever feel like you're kind of zoned out, that's a great way of thinking of theta. It's like you're and that's why I, I really don't like my kids watching bad TV or playing bad video games. When you are in that theta state where you're kind of mindlessly watching and zoned out, that's when you're most impressionable. And I don't want to be changing the messaging in my kids' inner workings to garbage. And I certainly don't want that for myself either. Um, you know, we deserve more. And I think that it's so promising in this field of study that if we can really focus on a grieving brain and sleep cycles and patterns and what's happening in our brain, um, you know, when we're in that theta state and how long is our theta state and all of that stuff, I just think there's so, so, so much uh, potential for improving our, our current state, but also just like, you know, I, I want that message to change so much because being somebody who's grieving so intensely um, and knowing, and yes, I meant to say intensely. It's funny. Actually, even when I wrote my husband's eulogy, um, not the eulogy, the um, obituary, the funeral home told me you wrote something incorrectly. You meant to say, I think he, they were trying to have me change it to what immensely maybe or something. I was like, no, intensely is what I meant. <laughs> like we are grieving intensely. That is what I meant. Oh boy. Anyway, but so yeah, I mean, there's hope in it for me. There's, I, I want us to change the way we see grief in the sense that right now it has this like hopeless connotation to it there's just like this overlying theme of like this is grief and it's okay which is great of course we want to tell everybody you know you're normal this is something everybody can, goes through or whatever but that does not give me calm and peace knowing that this is the new way for me does not make me sleep better at night i want to know that there is light at the end of the tunnel and I say it all the time, but I just, I hold that lantern high for others until they can find their own light again. But I don't, I don't believe that there are some of us that just will never find it again. And it doesn't have to be like the same blissful, you know, happiness that maybe you had with a soulmate. It might look different, but that doesn't mean, you know, back to resonance again. It doesn't mean that we can't find a match for our vibration, and our vibration has the same potential as everybody else's to be really high. And we don't have to live in the state where we're focused on the regret and the guilt and the sadness. And like that doesn't have to be, you know, our our new norm. That does not have to be what's running the show. Um, our subconscious programming could be anything. And so it's it's why we're all looking so different in grief. Like, you know, 
it doesn't always make sense, in other words, to people when they see somebody who's had such a terrible experience and they seem to be doing okay, and yet someone else's experience that was like, well, yeah, I mean, their grandmother died when she was 98 years old. She lived a long, wonderful life. You know, you'd think they'd be doing okay, but yet they are like in the depths of grief. So why? It doesn't make sense. You know, it doesn't add up. Is it just some people are overly dramatic? No, it's because we have a different programming set. You know, um, I, I learned at a very young age just to be, I don't even want to say, it makes it sound like I'm, I do have like people pleasing tendencies. I'm still working on trying to fix that. But, you know, I was just talking to someone earlier today about, he said, you smile when you talk, you know, you smile all the time. That's my subconscious programming. And from the time I was young, I recognized that when I, when, if I gave a smile, I got a smile. And I needed to receive those smiles. So for me, it was feeding something. For me to give of the smile, I received the smile. And I noticed that from a very young age. And so I've always been that way. Like I would much rather have my interactions be filled with us smiling at one another than the intensity and what comes with the alternative of being too serious all the time. And, um, and I don't like relating to people on that level. So I recognized what the vibration was that I liked and I knew how to attract it at a very young age. And so it's been my go-to. Now, other people might not have had that experience and their go-to and background experience could have been so different, you know? And maybe for them, people gave them a hard time when they were smiling and said to them, are you not taking me seriously? Is something funny? Could you imagine? Like as a young child, someone says that to you, then you, what? You connect smiling with I'm doing something wrong. People think I'm not taking them seriously or listening because I'm smiling. So I need to hold that back. I need to present with a serious face, right? It's something so simple, but think about that. When you really think through the mind of a child and how it might be taking all of these experiences and trying to piece them together to make sense of it, it's like, oh, wow. You know, I did create this, um, this way that I am. And for me, when you, you know, having hope in the ability to ever see the other side of grief, because everybody who's in it, like, doesn't love it. I mean, even when we say, like, yeah, I know I'm always going to have this. I know there's no getting over it. I'm not moving on, because we all want to say that, because none of us want to let go of our person, and we didn't love them any less. But we do want that hope. Like, that's something I think a lot of us have in common, most of us, that we're still longing for better days. We're longing for better moods or even just like the glimpse of like that realness behind our smile again. And I think that if we hear the messaging, you know, that whole, the commercial that's running in our minds, which is, nope, this is your new way and and don't worry, you're normal and it's fine. This is just the way it's going to be forever. Then it feels hopeless. It feels like this is my new norm. I have to accept it. This is what I've been told is my new way. And I think it has just so much to do with our patterns and our habits and how we're coping with our loss. And so those are fixable things. Those are adjustable. Like I certainly don't need to put on some bad TV at night right before falling asleep 
as like a mechanism of dozing off. So once I figured out how to get myself to sleep at night without the TV, needing to like drown out the rest of the world. And once I figured out how to get myself to bed on time again, so I wasn't falling asleep from pure exhaustion, I was opening up that theta window a little more. At least that's how it feels to me. And again, I'm hoping my research can prove some of this, but, um, you know, for me, as I extended that time period of being able to lay in my bed and actually have a thought in my mind before I fell asleep, you know, and being able to be curtail that a little bit, you know, and put some positive messaging in there, not positive messaging that I was going to go up in arms against, right? Surrounded by real, actual, factual things. So like if, you know, even if it came to the point of me saying like, you know, I'm at peace and I wanted to think, no, I'm not, you're not at peace. You know, you could word it different. You could say, what would it take for me to be at peace? And then your body's going to start looking for all of the, uh, the ways in which it can get there. Or you could say, you know, find something that's really close that you are connected with. Like, you know, something like, um, the certain types of music give me peace. My faith gives me peace. Like those are things that are true. And so in doing that, I'm like now able to say the words without coming back at myself and wanting to fight it. And so that's one way. Another way is after saying something like that, I'm at peace. Maybe say something like, I have potential to have peace in my life. And then I follow it up with a statement I don't argue. I say something like, you know, and and the snow outside is white. <laughs> And so before my brain has the chance to start to go up into like trying to look to defend its, you know, the the devil's advocate, I have already put a solid thing that I know to be fact in there. And it kind of just like, that's just the way I've always done it. It just kind of like bolsters the fact that like I'm speaking truth right now. I'm about to list off a whole bunch of facts and you're not going to argue. <laughs> My brain just kind of goes with it because, oh yeah, that's true. Oh, that's true. Like everything else scattered in between must be true too, <laughs> you know? And so and it interferes with my ability to want to come back with a rebuttal because I just heard something else that's really true and solid. So therefore that must have been pretty true and solid. It's funny, but like there are ways guys to sort of work with your own brain and figure out what does it want to do? What's its tendency? And can I break that pattern? Like, is there a way to not have it do that? Is there a way for it to see another way? Um, I don't know. These are just methods and, and ways in which I've, um, you know, sort of maneuvered around my own theta time and trying to get it into a better, you know, not better, but, you know, in a healthier state of mind of optimism and sort of leave the heavy... <laughs> you know, this can never change attitude at the door because I don't know, there's got to be hope guys. There's got to be hope. And I always, my other terminology I say all the time is it's not even hope, it's faith. Like when we have faith in it, we have confidence and, and I have faith in all of you and your ability to actually get on the other side of this. I still want to talk about this topic. There's so much more I didn't even scratch the surface of. Um, you know, what is my hypothesis? What is this research going to look like? I would love to share it with all of you and to show you what I'm finding in my research and share with you where it's coming from. Give credit where credit is due for those who've already done some work in this field. And I'm hoping to lean on some people in this field and see if I can get 
you know, I would love to get some guests on the show and um, really have some deep discussions about this. The trickiest part is um, finding people who have that education but can speak the language that we can all understand. So I'm searching and I know that there are some people out there that can do that pretty well. So hopefully you were able to follow me today on my, um, you know, my mental gymnastics as I sort of jumped around from all kinds of topics uh, around this whole idea of retraining our brains. But boy, I just hope you're feeling as excited inside as I am at the idea of being able to actually change the way we think and feel and have it be lasting. I mean, that's what we need is not to have to work so darn hard every day to try to keep seeing the light, but to have it be a program, something in our actual bones that is just, you know, it's it's ready there to support us in this process instead of be you know, fighting against yourself because it's kind of a losing battle if you're trying to fight your subconscious. <laughs> so we just need to start with, you know, a nice clean slate. That does not hurt. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you for joining me today. And I mean, I think it's obvious that my excitement around this topic is through the roof. So hopefully there's some great stuff to come in the future and you guys get to come with me on this journey. So thanks for joining. I'll see you next time.